Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. This is also one of the chapters that talk about don't be afraid of failure. But when we talk about vision, to me, having a vision and knowing exactly where you're going makes everything much easier because then working is not a chore. Working is a pleasure that because you're working towards something and there's a purpose there. And so this is why I put number one as the rules even when I ran for governor, I saw myself as the governor. No matter what anyone said, that Arnold is very hard to do, you know, when you step into politics, this is the biggest state in the union, it's very hard to do, maybe you should run for mayor first and all this stuff. I said, no, I see myself as governor. I see myself of solving the problems of this state that is right now in chaos. And I saw that. And I explained that vision to the people to the voters. And the people bought in because I had a very clear vision. It's all the vision that they chased. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. First of all, I just wanted to thank you for this book because I absolutely loved it. I read it in two days and I was just telling Jack, my producer, I really genuinely feel like it's going to help so many people because it's simple and it's clear and you feel like this coach and this mentor. So uh, I just want to acknowledge you right at the top for putting the time in because that's really fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
I'd love to go through the chapters if that is cool with you, because I feel like it's the best advice that we can give them today. And starting with this idea of a clear vision and having a clear vision, can you speak to that a little bit and kind of tell the story of how that's shown up in your life and your work? Well, I I think that what kind of helped me get launched in my bodybuilding career was that I had a very clear vision that developed over a period of time when I uh, met people that were working out, they were doing sports and they were doing shot put and hammer throwing and weightlifting and bodybuilding and boxing and wrestling and all of this stuff. I got kind of sucked into this whole sports world. And then when I started seeing Hercules movies, I uh, started kind of creating more vision of like, I wanted to actually look like this guy on a, Her- on a big movie screen, Grace Hercules. Then when I read up on that person, I found that he was Mr. Universe and he was from England and all this. And so I started creating a very clear vision of that I want to become Mr. Universe myself. And that stayed in my head the whole time. And all of a sudden I realized that I was actually chasing that vision. And uh, I was going to the gym. I was training two hours a day, three hours a day. And I started to train twice a day. And people said, wow, you have a lot of discipline. And I said, actually, I have no discipline. I'm just chasing this vision that is occurring in my mind all the time. And I see it in front of me. And it is so believable. I have such faith in that vision that it's kind of like everything that I do, everything that I eat is going towards that vision. As a matter of fact, to me, I didn't worry about doing another, you know, 500 sit-ups or anything. It was kind of like, yeah, this 500 sit-ups is taking me one step closer to becoming Mr. Universe. And so eventually, at the age of 20, I became the youngest Mr. Universe ever, and my vision became a reality. So... When that happened, I applied that rule to everything. If we're thinking about when you started to have those visions, if we're going back to when the Hercules movie came out that you were watching, there was so much less access. You know, now any of us could go on Google, we can go on the internet, and we can find a vision. We can see what it looks like. But back in the day, I'm imagining that you had far less access to knowledge. Like, let's say you watched a movie how do you allow that vision to grow? Was it predominantly your imagination? Yes, it was just uh, what I've seen on the screen, on the movie screen, and then what I saw in the bodybuilding magazines because I found out then later on when I saw this magazine in the store with this guy, Reg Park, on the cover, I read everything about him growing up in Leeds and working out hours and hours every day, becoming Mr. Great Britain and one of the strongest bodybuilders over there then eventually Mr. Europe and then Mr. Universe. So I, I read all that stuff. But I tell you one thing, it actually helped me that we didn't have internet, and that we didn't have computers, and we didn't have iPads and iPhones and uh, you know, social media and all this because I was able to just sit there and daydream. I was sit there and seeing my own vision develop rather than always being kind of distracted with all of the stuff that is on social media today, or that you see, because you have to imagine that the, the average person today is watching hours and hours every day be on that iPhone or on their phone or iPad or computer or something, 
in watching something or doing something. So that's spending a lot of time watching someone else rather than kind of creating a vision for yourself. And I think that's one of the reasons why so many people today do not know where they want to go, what direction they want to go in their careers. So many young people that I ask, they are always kind of like hesitate when they say, okay, you're going to college now. Okay, you study business. What is the end game here? What is your goal? Well, you know, when I get out of college, I maybe join some business and then I learn about business. I say, well, what, what is the ideal thing that you want to be? Let's assume that there's Chini uh, coming out of the bottle and say, hey, to make a wish the first uh, 10 seconds and then that will become a reality. And they stumble all over the place. Well, I, I, if I could, it, I, it, well, I haven't thought about that. So it is a lack of vision. And that's why I think that 70% or 78% actually to be exactly in America are unhappy with their jobs. They're dissatisfied. They hate their jobs. And so they cannot wait until they retire. But that's, that's not really a, a life to live. You know, so I never was looking forward to retiring. I'm 76. You know, and I just can't wait to do the next thing and the next, write the next book or do the next movie or be part of the next TV series uh, or lecture at the Schwarzenegger Institute or whatever doing a speech on the environment or whatever it is, I'm excited to do those things because I have a very clear vision now. Having developed uh, this kind of vision for bodybuilding, I realized that I can do this also with coming to America and having a clear vision of coming to America and then become successful over here. I used that very same kind of a vision to get into show business when everyone said, Arnold, you would never make it. And, uh, and I did, because I saw myself as another Clint Eastwood or Charles Bronson. It was very clear in front of me. And people said, it's very hard to ladder to climb and all that. And I said, okay, then I just create my own ladder. And I climbed that. And this, it was just, it was, to me, it became such a great pleasure to know where I'm going at all times. It was no kind of yeah. screwing around. Yes, it was tough. Yes, there were times when I fell. Yes, there were times when I lost competitions. Yes, there were times when I lost in, in movies and movies went down in the toilet and didn't open up well. And all this, those things happen. So this is also one of the chapters I talk about, don't be afraid of failure. But when we talk about vision, to me, having a vision and knowing exactly where you're going makes everything much easier because then working is not a chore. Working is a pleasure then because you're working towards something and there's a purpose there. And so this is why I put yeah. number one as the rules. Even when I ran for governor, I saw myself as the governor. No matter what anyone said that, oh, this is very hard to do. You know, when you step into politics, this is the biggest state in the union. It's very hard to do. Maybe you should run for mayor first and all this stuff. I said, no. I see myself as governor. I see myself of solving the problems of this state that is right now in chaos. And I saw that. And I explained that vision to the people, to the voters. And, uh, you know, where we won't have blackouts, where we won't have a budget deficit, where we will have businesses booming in California, where we will rebuild the California, the infrastructure and all of that stuff and create more renewable energy and reduce our greenhouse gases and pollution. I explained that to the people and the people bought in because I had a very clear vision. They saw 
that, that, that the vision that that chase. Have you had experiences in your life where you had a very clear vision, but no one else around you can see it? And if so, how do you move forward? Did you just like go rogue and do it on your own? Or did you wait until you had the buy-in from the people around you before you decided to pursue it? Every one of my visions was only just me seeing it. Um, and imagine <laughs> that you are like a 15-year-old kid and you see and you say, I want to be the world champion in bodybuilding. And that's in Austria. So, of course, the first thing that yeah. someone would say in Austria is, is, you're crazy. Because in Austria, your dream should be to be the best soccer player or the best skier or the best hockey player or something like that that is Austrian, but not bodybuilding. Bodybuilding is an American sport. What are you talking about? So uh, I think that, uh, that it threw everyone for a loop, and of course everyone said no. And that's why I realized that the, the bigger your dreams are and the bigger your ambitions are and the harder you know, your, 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 your dreams are, the more people are going to say around you, it's impossible. It can't be done. No one has ever done it before, so you won't be able to do it either. So, if, yes, you're going to hear that. This is why this is so important. My rule that I talk about in the book, which is ignore the naysayers. Because, yes, there will be people around you all the time saying, no, this is impossible. But as I said, like Nelson Mandela always said, everything is always impossible that is big, you know, it's kind of important until someone does it. When someone does it, then everyone always says, everyone says, oh, it is possible. A human being did it. So, you know, so don't shy away from anything that, that, that no one else has done before because records get broken all the time, unusual things people do all the time that no one else has done before. So that should not really hold you back and kind of cripple you. So that what I'm talking about in the book is I want to encourage people that anything is possible. I want to tell them that the solace you take the time to really visualize what your goal should be, to be in touch with your heart and what is inside of you rather than trying to copy someone else uh, or be in social media or just be on the computer and trying to figure out what the other people do and then copy that. That's not you. You can't copy just things. You can go and get inspired by other people, but you have to find out what is it that you really want. You know, is it that you want to maybe yeah. become a, the greatest the comic addict? come up with new ways of fixing cars and repairing cars or building engines? Is it something that you want to be a painter, that you have a new unique style that you have visualized of painting? Whatever it is, go and chase that vision. Well, you also tell us in the book that we should never think small, that if we're going to do anything, we should aim at something big. Was that a philosophy you had from the time you were little, or has that developed over time? Well, it, it again comes from that vision as a... As, uh, bodybuilding champion because uh, when people said to me says well first you should become Mr. Styria and then Mr. Austria and then Mr. Europe maybe you should dream about those kind of things I said but I can't help it my vision that what I see is being in London at that uh, stage that Reg Park won the Mr. Universe contest and be on the stage and, and me winning it see my face on that body I said, that's what I see. You know, so I cannot visualize me being Mr. Austin or something like that. I know that it makes sense what you're saying. I said, but I'm chasing that bigger vision. 
And so that's what I always have done because I feel like it takes just as much effort, you know, to chase a small vision than a big vision. And so I might as well just go for the big vision. And you will find out sooner or later how far you can go. It's easier to shoot for the stars and to fall short than to shoot for something that is Mickey Mouse that is really little. And then, of course, in the by accident, you're never going to reach the stars. So this is not going to happen. So therefore, let's go all out and uh, shoot for the big core. And the only thing that holds people back and that makes people think a lot of times, uh, I don't want to go that big because then I set myself up for failure. I talk about that in the book that most of the people are held back because they're afraid of failure. But uh, I tell them that failure is going to come. There's no one that I've ever met that didn't have failure. As a matter of fact, this, I, I, I write about it in the book about like Michael Jordan and people like that. They will tell you that, hey, I missed 5,000 shots on the way to, the, uh, to, to, to win you know, uh, the basketball games, NBA championship. Uh, and I missed so, so many games. And I, I lost in so, so many games. And all this. But what, what made me a champion was those losses and those failures. Because that's what makes you get better and better and better. So don't shy away from failure or don't make failure be kind of the thing that makes you afraid of making a move. You should make courageous moves. You should have a big vision. And whatever happens, if you fail, you always can get up and then dust yourself off, improve and learn from those failures and then move on. And so I think that's where the, where the action is. I've failed in many things in my movies, in my bodybuilding career, in my lift. I remember when my goal was to lift uh, 500 pounds in the bench press. I tried in 10 different lifts. I tried uh, there were championships and I failed. In front of thousands of people, may I remind you, in the in powerlifting championships. So it's not like kind of failing in the gym. It's like failing in front of thousands of people. But I didn't feel like a failure. I did two lifts. I did the 400 pounds. Then I lifted the 450 pounds. That was successful. Then I tried the 500, which I never lifted. And the, the only way that you ever would know that you can do it is if you try it. And if you're willing to fail. Mm. And I failed. And I did this 10 times. But the 11th time, I lifted it. And everyone was standing up in the audience and cheering, standing ovation. And I said to myself, that just is, this is a lesson. You never give up. Failure, I learned what I did wrong. You know, I maybe went with the lift too fast after the second lift to the third lift or whatever it is. Uh, but one thing you know for sure is that you can't do it. You know, and then you just have yeah. to be persistent and do it and not be afraid of failure and not be afraid of you know, picking a big goal rather than a little small tinky goal. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way, as a business, as a way to invest in property and 
earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. This episode is brought to you by Progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Well, it also sounds like we have to have a willingness to look at the failure, to own it, and to understand why we failed. Because you didn't just try and fail. You failed, and then you unpacked what happened. Okay, if I try this or I tweet. So you're learning as you're going to figure out that equation. Most people will fail and then have too much. They're like, pretend it didn't happen because they don't want to own that. And I feel like you talk about that again and again of just like, yeah, you screwed up or you didn't do it right, or you're going to try and augment it for next time. Right. To me, the key thing is to look at failure as a stepping stone to success. I was only able to go and to go as far as I did in weightlifting because I was willing to go and to try and to test myself. How far can I go? How strong am I really? Can I lift the 500 pounds or am I getting stuck at the 480 or at 490 and I can't quite make the 500? So it's not like uh, when I now test myself that, oh, I failed. No, I was just trying to figure out, can I do it already? No, maybe you have to wait a little bit. Maybe you have to train a little harder. So you learn in the process, but it's not really where you have to kind of be ashamed of yourself that you failed or anything like this. So people look at failure in a weird way and they kind of, they, they shy away from it and they're worried about it. And I think that it makes us freeze and it makes us scared of making the next move. And I think the only way that we can really go all out is if we are loops. Relax. Don't be scared of failure. Don't be scared of anything. Just go for it and do it. And you will know how far you can go. And then when you then you have to recalibrate when you see there's a stumbling block 
and it doesn't work out and all that stuff. The more you relax about those things, the less that you're overly thinking all this stuff, the better it is for you, the more successful you can be. Remember that the, no matter what sport you're in, uh, and like I said, I always learn most of my lessons from sports. The more you're relaxed, you know, Muhammad Ali always asked him, how do you do 15 rounds? In those days, they did 15 rounds in boxing rather than 12 reps a day. <laughs> 15 rounds. These days, it's all about being relaxed. I dance around the ring and that jab and that punch and all this, but as soon as you cramp up, as soon as you get up tight, he says, you're not going to last 15 rounds. And so it's the same thing in skiing and tennis. And all those athletes will always tell you, the more you're relaxed, the more you can improvise and the more you can deal with the situation as it comes up. And I think this is the way it is in life also, just like in sports. And that's why I always tell people, you got to just relax and you got to just, you know, have faith in yourself, have faith in your vision, and then don't listen to the naysayers. And the other thing that I mentioned, as you know, in the book is work your ass off. Yeah, I love that chapter, man. This is something that a lot of people forget. You know, that there is nothing like the old-fashioned way where you just work your ass off. Don't look for kind of easy ways out or to find tricks to get around the hard work and all this stuff. It's not going to happen. It's like, uh, you know, I mean, I remember Ted Turner always stressed, when I talked to him, he always stressed the hard work and letting the world know what you're working on, advertising. You know, they always said, you know, Early to bed, early to rise, work like hell and advertise. Advertise, yep. <laughs> yeah, advertise, yeah. But work like hell. That was always part of the, the thing. And so I think that anyone that is successful, even when you talk to a, another guy that I've become very close to and that I've always loved was Warren Buffett, you know, one of the richest men in the world. And Warren Buffett is in his 90s. And he's still working every day, all day long. And it's just, I'm, I admire that so much. And, uh, you know, he always says, you know, too many people today want to be rich in a faster way. I think it is better to just want to be rich and do it by working your ass off and being creative and believing in yourself and all this stuff. So, I believe in that, and I've watched him firsthand. I've traveled around the world with him, and know how he operates. It's all about work, work, work. And I remember when I came over to this country, I worked my ass off on construction site, in the working out in the gym, uh, working, going to school, uh, acting classes. I mean, I did everything. I had my mail order business, everything. It was like really, I utilized the day. I mean, 24 hours a day, fully, sleeping six hours a day, and then the recipe was work, work, work. And that, that's what you need to do. And that so many young kids today feel like that they can do it the easy way. There is no easy way. Just get used to the fact that you have to work. And get yeah. used to the fact also about life that the more pain you go through, the more you grow. It's like a muscle. And I explained that in this book also. It's that the muscle will not be able to grow if you don't put so much resistance on it. Like if I wanted to train my bicep, then you have to do a heavy curl. And the heavier I do this curl, 
and the more pain I experience in this bicep, the more the bicep will grow. And that's how our character is. That's how our mind is. Everything is like that. The more you face resistance, the more you have adversity. And that is what builds character. That's what builds strength. The more you go through obstacles, the more you go through failures and then get up again and get going, the better it is and the stronger you will get as a person. Too many young kids today want to be babied and they want to feel good. And I always tell them, I said, this is not where the action is. I said, the action is not, no one has ever grown by feeling just good all the time. You grow right. by sometimes having disappointments, sometimes having failures, sometimes you have to kind of struggle to get up again and all of that stuff. So this is, I think, where the action is. And this is what I'm talking about in the book, that we have to skid away from the softness, but we got a bit tough. Let's just think about, you know, how this country was built. This country was built not by people sleeping in, not by people being <laughs> soft, not by people saying, oh, this hurts me today. Oh, I feel bad, like I've hurt feelings. Oh, I have this. Oh, I, feel, I want to feel comfortable. No, this country was built by tough people, tough men and women that were willing to work their butts off and work, 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 get up in the early in the morning, take care of their chores and all this stuff. And this is kind of, you know, what I, this is what the book is about. This is what my father always said, be useful. Be useful means no matter what it takes, give something back, yeah. you know, kind of struggle out there and give something back after you've achieved something in life. And so this is what it's about. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Look, we're all super busy. We have so many things filling up our plate each and every day. And I like to imagine what it would be like if I had an extra hour. Like, what would I do? I like to think that I would be my absolute best self and I would meditate and make sure I'm journaling more. I would do my morning pages. I would really take advantage of that time. But in order to know what to do with your time, you have to understand what your priorities are. And therapy can be a really fantastic way to figure that out. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Rach to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash reach. It's spring, guys, or it's very close to spring, which means it's very close to the time of the year where I start planting my garden for summer. And this year, I was really excited to add a lemon tree, not from a seed, but like an actual tree. Did you know that Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. 
Fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners of my show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code RACH at checkout. Guys, get a lemon tree like me. We can be twins. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code RACH at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code RACH. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. I think there's also a real empowerment in a struggle that you choose because so many people have struggle in their lives that they don't get to choose, right? They work three jobs. They're taking care of their kids. They're doing those things. But when you have a goal, a personal goal you set for yourself and you choose the hardship, you choose the struggle in that moment, it's so freaking empowering because you're like, man, life's going to be hard either way, but at least this hard I got to pursue. I w- this summer was um, hiking through Spain and we were doing 16 miles a day at- over mountains. It was incredible and so freaking hard. And I'll tell you, midday, we stopped to have lunch and we're sitting on the side of the road in the dirt having a baguette and some cheese. And it was the best freaking meal I've had in a decade because I was exhausted. I gave everything to that trail. And the the beauty in that moment of like, this is a heart I chose. I earned this bread and cheese that I don't feel like many people get to experience now because they get so bogged down in the monotony of life. So how do you, like, what's your advice to someone right now who's like, Arnold, I, yes, I want that, but I'm struggling to find the time to pursue a goal for myself. I don't think that you don't have time to pick a goal. I think that, (laughs) like for instance, I don't think that it took you much time to pick the goal that you want to go and hike through Spain. Yeah. You know, you said, said, wouldn't it be cool to go and to go to this place and then a day later to this place and you mapped out a certain kind of an agenda. And you see, you looked at the photographs and you looked at the restaurants and you saw this whole thing in front of you and you had a plan and now it became fun to go the 16 hours because you knew where you were going. You knew what it was about. You knew the score that you had. And I think this is what most people have to adjust to, that you can't just go from one day to the next and not have a goal because it takes away the fun only to kind of like take care of things rather than chasing something. I mean, it's so wonderful. Like, for instance, someone that wants to climb Mount Everest, you know, they go through risks. They go through pain. They march up there every day, but they look up there and they see this peak. They know exactly where they're going. And that's why they are capable of taking the risks to freeze their butts off or to die on the way up there. People are willing to die on the way up there or on the way down because they want to reach that peak, that's what is the most important thing. So they know why they're doing it. Imagine that you're just stuck out of nowhere in a freezing cold and you're stepping and you're stepping and you're freezing and you're freezing, but there's no reason for it. That's torturous. But if you have a goal, then the whole thing is worth it. That's what you just explained. 
how much yeah. fun it was to march through Spain and then to have that lunch and to have that dinner and to go and lie down in bed at night. Everything you appreciate much more because of what you've done. And so I always tell people it is so much fun, no matter how big the goal is and how risky it is, it's so much fun chasing a goal, knowing where you're going. And I always talk about it as that you can have the most sophisticated airplane in the world, but if the pilot does not know where to go, that plane will eventually crash because <laughs> you don't know where to go and you just fly and fly and fly until you run out of fuel and then you crash. And that's the same thing with, and that's the same with life. It's you, if you just can go from one thing to the next to the next to the next, but you don't have really a goal, you don't have a vision of where you're going, eventually you're going to crash. You're going to get depressed and you're going to go and feel fed up about the whole thing and you can't kind of like recuperate from that. So I think having a a purpose and chasing something is, I think, extremely important. Yeah. In the book, I think you reference Edmund Hillary. I mean, you're talking about Everest, and this reminds me that he, you, you tell the story of him getting to the top of the mountain and being so excited because on the top of the mountain, he saw another mountain. And you are one of the greatest examples of this in life. You would you know, at the top of your game as a bodybuilder, I'm going to become a movie star. Not just I'm going to become an actor, but I'm going to become a movie star. Then you're top of your game as a movie star. I'm going to become governor. What's the best advice that you have to someone who has achieved a certain level of success? And the idea of like leveling up on that success feels like, holy crap, you know, it was already so hard to get here. How do I then make the step to the next level? Well, what the, what the reason why I mentioned Hillary uh, with Mount Everest was because he literally uh, went through that experience. And for us, it's kind of more simple because we are not up there Mount Everest, but it's more simple. So that what's interesting is, is that he went to the top of Mount Everest. And so, of course, every journalist asked him that question when he came back down what was the thought that went through your mind? What were you thinking about when you finally stood there at the tallest mountain in the world and you climbed that and you're the first human being that was able to do that and blah, blah, blah. And they thought that they got to get some answers like, oh, I felt so relieved that I finally did it. But he said, I saw another peak because I was so high up that I saw other peaks that I was not aware of there. And... Immediately, I started planning on how I'm going to go conquer those peaks. So what's interesting about it is, is that he didn't just sit there when he came back down and to, to kind of celebrate, but he immediately had another goal because that's what's fun. He started planning on the next peak and then the next peak. And so to me, that was a very, very interesting kind of symbolically because I remember when I got to the top in my bodybuilding career, I became aware of Hollywood. And I became aware of, you know, the movies that Reg Park did and Steve Reeves and all these guys did the Hercules movies. And I wanted to get into the movies just like them, but I wanted to do bigger movies. And so I saw this as the new kind of peak. Oh my God, I'm here on Muscle Beach, but Muscle Beach is in Los Angeles. Hollywood is in Los Angeles. I got to conquer Hollywood. So I saw this other peak. And they said to myself, I got to go up to that. And of course, everyone again said, that's impossible. 
and you don't have a shot on it. I mean, you have an accent that barely anyone can understand. And then you have this name that no one can pronounce. And then, you know, you have this body that is not really in anymore. This is the 70s. I mean, the body of Woody Allen and Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino. <laughs> Those are the guys, the sex symbols, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But I mean, I saw that peak. I saw Hollywood is right here. And I looked at the movies they were doing. And I said, myself, okay, even though it, there is no kind of a place for me, but I just have to create that place. That's why I talk about, you know, that I built, I didn't wait to climb a ladder. I built my own ladder. And this is exactly what, what this is, what I'm talking about here is that you kind of like see it again. You chase that dream. You do the work. I worked my butt off. I said to myself, okay, to win Mr. Olympia, I trained five hours a day. So now we're getting into the movies. Maybe I have to also do some extra work five hours a day. And so I took English classes, uh, speech classes, accent removal classes, acting classes, stunt classes, all this kind of stuff, five hours a day. And slowly it started happening. And slowly, I started getting phone calls from Lucille Ball to do happy anniversary and goodbye um, for her TV show uh, with Art Carney. And then they, they had me get star in the streets of San Francisco and to play this psychopathic bodybuilder. And then uh, Kirk Douglas and Anne Margaret called me to be in the villain and to which was the third leading role. And then eventually I was then doing the Jane Mansfield story uh, with Lonnie Anderson and then Conan the Barbarian and bang, there I landed in the national big movie role. And so within 10 years, it didn't happen from one day to the next. Yes, there were failures along the way and all of that stuff. But after 10 years, there I landed this role, Conan the Barbarian. And I was off into international starting. It took 10 years for you to go yeah. from Mr. Unit. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, my, I was working on this dream of getting into movies for like years and years and years. And I was rejected. I was turned down. And then it was accepted. And there was, I mean, Lucille Ball, man, was like a true. She, oh, she received me with open arms. And she wanted me so badly in that role to play her masseur in that uh, TV show. And... Uh, you know, and it was it was wonderful. It was a great experience. And with each one of those experiences, I learned, and also with my failures, I learned, and I climbed my way up there, and then made it become a reality. And so, again, hard work, believing in myself, being able to kind of like not listening to the naysayers, all the rules that I usually apply, I yeah. applied, and that's how I did it. Yeah. When you got an opportunity like Lucille Ball. How do you approach an opportunity? It's something you've never done before. Maybe you're feeling a little bit nervous. Do you have any advice for someone who's like, they just got their first big job. They're about to go do something big. Do you have any rules for like, show up early, you know, be ready to work? I know you talk about reading speeches 50 times before you would give them as governor. Some of that kind of advice. Well, I tell you, everything you said is exactly what happened. I was scared. I was worried uh, that I'm going to fail and I'm going to disappoint her. And all of those kind of things happened. But uh, 
I think that with people helping me and with me applying the rules kind of like out, work your ass off. Don't just go there and expect that you're going to be shining. You know, get some acting lessons. Really work with an acting coach. Work on your accent. Work on your speech. Remember that Germans are not good in pronouncing certain things. We don't, uh, we get confused with the B and the Ws. We say this is a great wine when we really want to say this is a great wine. Well, wine. So, you know, let's work on that. Let's not go and say three, 3,000, but let's say 3,000 with the TH, not with an S. Let's go and uh, differentiate the S from the Z, that the zinc is made out of zinc, you know. And so all of those kind of things, let's work on those things. So when I go there, I can at least speak in an understandable way. And so that I just work, work, work. And yes, I was intimidated. Yes, I was scared. But I went there and Lucy Ball took care of the rest. She, like I said, always complimented me. Oh, this is great. You're so funny. This is fantastic. Do exactly that when we take the show, when we do the show and when we film and blah, blah, blah. She, she was, was an absolute jewel. So, yes, um, I even though never heard of the seven Ps at that time, but I applied the seven Ps. Wait, what are the seven Ps? The seven Ps is something from the military, from the Marines. Proper prior planning prevents pissed poor performance. <laughs> Those are the seven Ps. Okay. Okay, so That's a good this one. is the most important thing in a military, and it's also the most important thing in real life. If you apply that, so you would not go and not be really prepared. So I said to myself, Proper prior planning. So I got to plan. I got to go and rehearse. I got to go and learn my lines. I got to go and get rid of my accent. I got to do all of those things so I'm prepared. Proper prior planning uh, prevents piss poor performance. So I said to myself, okay, if I prep myself well, if I rehearse, if I work my butt off, then I prevent a terrible performance, basically. And so that's exactly what happened. So those are the kind of rules that anyone can apply. Even if you do the littlest things, you get ready for the littlest things, you, but you got to be prepared. I mean, I would never go out and do a speech in front of thousands of people and not know what I'm going to say. Yes, you can improvise some of it. Uh, but anyway, so you, you got to always be prepared and uh, prep yourself and never take anything for granted. Are you a perfectionist? No, you know, not really. Not it seems really. like you really care I'm about not... the detail, though. Well, it's, it's, just, it's just that we sometimes trip up on the details. And um, again, it goes back to my bodybuilding days, the lifting days, and also the acting days. You're standing up on a stage with the greatest bodybuilders in the world. They all have a great physique. Every one of them has won Mr. Universe, Mr. World, Mr. International, and any of the international titles 
and you are now in the Mr. Olympia competition because that's what it takes to get into the Mr. Olympia. So you know, with the greatest bodybuilders are standing up there, what do you think the judges are looking at? Who is the best? No, they're looking for who has the most weak points. So it's mm. little things like having your lower abdominals developed or having the outside calves not enough developed or having the separation between your triceps and your biceps not well developed or having the striation of the upper back claw and the lower back claw not well developed. So it's just little details that can make you lose very quickly in competition. So, of course, you are forced, not that I am a detailed person, but I was forced into paying attention to those details because after every competition, I went to the judges and I said, how did I do? You don't have to tell me how you placed me or anything, but how did I do? And judges would say, yeah, I need a little bit more of the lower calves. You get the stretches calves down a little bit lower. I mean, they were fine. I mean, they were huge with 21 inches and all this stuff. You can see that. But, I mean, <laughs> you can perfect them, actually. You can perfect them, you know, you, you, you just, you, maybe your posing trunks were not the right color. I think it would be better if you have browns. It ties in with the, with the rest of the body color and stuff. So you will pick up certain details. And that's when you become kind of like fanatic about details, which by nature I'm not. The same is also when you do a, a scene in a movie. There are certain subtleties certain looks and certain things that you have to pay attention to that sells, you know, kind of to the audience. Is this guy going through some drama? Is he thinking about something else? Is he planning something before he says a line and all that stuff? And with comedy, timing is so important. So there's a lot of little things, detailed stuff that is very, very important. So you have to pay attention to those details. But in general, like I said, I'm not that much of a detailed person. And this is why I love surrounding myself with people that are detail-oriented. Mm. I'm more visionary. I see yeah. always my strength. Not that I chose this as a kid or when I was born, but my strength always was that I could see things. Even when it comes to decorating my house, I could see the way it should be done. And so everything that I see, that's what helped me when I was governor, I could really see rebuilding California. I could see how we could go and widen our freeways and start building a high-speed rail here, building more bridges and more tunnels and more on-ramps and more off-ramps so that the traffic flows because the traffic gets stacked up and bumper to bumper traffic, it creates more pollution and we wanted to get rid of pollution. So I could see all of this stuff. So it really helped me having a vision. You talk about a team, and I was curious, you, have you ever heard that quote that we are the combination of the five people we spend the most time with? Yes, I'm sure. curious if you, when you were coming up in your career, did you have people around you that made you better, or were you typically kind of leading out because you had this vision? Both. Both. I mean, I was, uh, uh, without really knowing it, I had a leader personality. And for some reason, that even when I started with bodybuilding, I had people, I had kids kind of join me and say, can I train with you on the weekend? Or can I come in on Tuesday and Thursday and train with you? And someone who did. And I just started weightlifting. And some a weightlifter that has been lifting for like years said, you know, we should do weightlifting over at my house. I have a barbell. I come over on the weekend and lift with me. And that they wanted to, to, to listen because I always had a very kind of engaging personality. 
and an inspirational kind of personality. I pump always everyone up around me. You know, I was always very optimistic and very yeah. positive. Uh, so, so I think that that gravitated that, that had people kind of gravitated towards me and wanted to be hanging out with me. But at the same time, as I was kind of leading and I was pumping them up, I was pumped up. I was pumped up by Reg Park, that the Hercules figure I talked about, and by Steve Reeves, and by the coach that was in that gym, the weightlifting coach that was in the gym. I remember meeting Yuri Flasov, the Russian weightlifter in Vienna that won the world championships in 1961. And uh, a friend of mine brought me backstage, and there was Yuri Flasov, the world champion, sitting there on the chair. And he was just getting ready for his last lift to break the world record. And I remember his big thighs and his hands. And he was like a heavyweight lifter. He weighed around, you know, 270, 280 pounds. And I just remember him. And he was kind of kind. And he looked at me and he smiled at me. And I said, he's smiling at me. And then my friend said, go and shake his hand. I said, no, 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 no. And then he just waved at me like that. And I went over and I shook his hand. And so that guy, then he got up and he put chalk on his hand. He went outside to the weightlifting platform in front of thousands of people and he lifted 228 uh, kilo, which was the world record. And he broke the world record right in front of my eyes. And this and that just took his hand. So, of course, that guy became an inspiration. I mean, I, I was like inspired by it. I couldn't wait for me one day to get to be you know, have enough money so I could travel to Russia, to Moscow, and to go and meet this guy again. And sure enough, eventually we did a movie back in, I did Red Heat, and I was filming on Red Square. And then uh, as we were filming on Red Square, I then called him and got in touch with him. And we met up again and talked about when we met there at this weightlifting championship. So, you know, I had people that inspired me, and I'd, I always was also someone that was willing to inspire other people. I think this is what the world is about. We need help and we have to give help. So I am, yeah. that's why I always say I'm not a self-made man. I have not created myself. I've had the fire in the belly. I created the visions and all this stuff. But to execute all of this stuff, I needed a lot of help and a lot of inspiration. And I got that from so many people. So that's why I always say I'm not a self-made man. I did not make myself come to America. Joe Weider brought me to America, the publisher of Muscle and Fitness magazines. He brought me to America. I did not make myself bodybuilding champion. It was the training partners that trained with me daily and the coaches that I had and the judges that voted for me to be the number one. As if they all helped. The fans, I always, for instance, lifted much more weights when I was in front of a crowd. So the yeah. thousands of people that were screaming out there made me lift another 20, 30 pounds in a deadlift. Uh, so without them, I couldn't have done it. Or for instance, to win the governorship. I they had like 5.8 million people vote for me. Well, I didn't make myself governor. This 5.8 million people, each one of them, their vote counted and they made me governor. So I'm a product of a lot of help of a lot of inspiration. And the reason why I emphasize that in the book is because when we tell people 
think about all the people that it took to make you who you are. Then you realize also, well, if they help me, that I have to also help other people. Because it's, 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 it's absolutely crucial that we teach people that as you become one more successful, as other people help you, you then got to go and turn around and help other people. What is your yeah. charity? What is it that you're doing for the community? What do you do for your city? What do you do for your state or your country? Those are the questions that if you ask yourself on the end. So giving back is absolutely crucial. One of my favorite chapters in the book was about selling, actually, because it's not something that a lot of people talk about, and you are exceptional at it. And I think that it's something in my own career that I really struggle with, and I don't know if that's because I'm a woman and I don't feel like I'm allowed to say what I have achieved or what I've accomplished. But for anyone else who's like me, who reads this chapter or is working on a project, but sort of feels hesitant to talk about the success or sell what they've done, what's your advice for us? Well, I, I think the advice is not to look at the idea of selling uh, in a negative way. A lot of times people say, well, that this kind of sounds cheap or sleazy that you sell and they think this means hype or something like that. And uh, the reality of it is, is that if you want to make an impact on the world, you have to let the people know what you have to offer. So if you have a product, let's assume that you have now, you have some medication that you've developed that will solve the Alzheimer's problem. Well, if you keep that a secret, and if you don't tell anyone, and if you don't sell it, and if you don't communicate, and if you don't publicize it and market it the right way, it would never go out there, and it would never be able, that the mass would not be able to benefit from this great medication. So this is why you, I always say you can have the best product in the world, but if people don't know about it, you have nothing. And this is why it is so important that we go and let the people know. And now, of course, with the new technology, with the internet and with the computers and with the uh, social media and all that stuff and podcasts like you're doing right now. I mean, this is the way that you communicate today. So it's very important to recognize that don't just produce this great product or don't just write this great book or don't just make this great movie or, or whatever it is, and not let the people know. You've got to go out and find a way and pay as much attention to the selling and communicating and publicizing than to that creation of the product itself. Yeah, you, you give really great advice in the book, which is knowing who the customer is. Knowing that when you were trying to break into film, that your customers would be producers or directors, or later on it would be the public, but understanding who you need to sell to at a specific time, I freaking love that advice. But what do you say when, for someone who's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's, who's earlier on in their career, and starts to put themselves out there and starts to get crap from the internet, starts to get haters, starts to get people who are like, this sucks, this is lame, you don't know what you're talking about. Because I think that's pretty common now. People, you can have the tallest building in town by building the tallest building or by knocking down everybody else's buildings. And it feels like sometimes that's what the internet loves to do. Well, look, you know the old saying, for every attack, there's a defense. 
So there's Nietzsche uh, said that. And uh, so to me, I never ever shied away because there's someone that could attack you. Imagine you run for governor. <laughs> one day, one day when I came out with, uh, with Terminator 3, and it was a huge success. I had 80% likability amongst the public. A week later, I announced on the Tonight Show that I'm going to run for governor as a Republican. My likability immediately dropped from 80% to 50%. Because now 50% of the people, the Democrats, immediately said, well, fuck him, he, he's uh, guy, the guy's a Republican. I never liked Republicans, I never will vote for Republicans, and they need you out. So does that make me kind of say, oh my God, what I do now, I have to run the other way, I shouldn't have done that, no. no. So now you try to figure out, okay, if that's the reality, now I have to go and make sure that I go and communicate well to the people in California of what I'm trying to do, and that yes, I'm a Republican, but I'm actually very inclusive. And maybe most people don't know that I don't see the Democrats as the enemy. I see them as very good partners. So Republicans and Democrats have to get together and partner up. That's how we accomplish great things. Well, I was married to a Democrat, right? So I mean, why would I look at them as the, as the enemy? So, I mean, I was always very open-minded. And the more I talked about that, the more people started coming my way. And the more I started my... my popularity started going up again. And uh, the more I talked about that, I want to be too zip, you know, to be, uh, you know, the African-American uh, population uh, needs to be attended to. The Republicans haven't done a good job on that and talked about those issues, talked about environmental issues, talked about women's issues, promised them that I will, uh, you know, go and appoint as judges more women than any governor has ever done, which we did. And uh, so I talked about each. They always said, many people say, we well, you know something. Is that the typical Republican, what we thought of a Republican? And they started getting on board. And uh, I won. The only way you could win in California, having a majority of Democrats, is having a Democrats come your way. And yeah. so what I did actually do was I got the Republican vote and I got some of the Democratic votes. And then I, uh, I won the governorship. So, uh, you know, yes, there will be negative comments. Yes, there will be attacks. But remember, every day people start, you know, uh, businesses and they're the success. For even though they get attacked, they start real estate businesses, they start mail order businesses, they start, uh, you know, uh, certain products, food supplements and all of this stuff, and people attack them and they're still a successful. So it's like, like I said, for every attack, there's a defense. So you just have to figure out a way of getting around it. And people always said to me when I came out with the movie, oh, there's another movie coming out the same weekend that you're coming out, and they're really attacking you and all this stuff. I said, that's perfectly fine. I said, it's all about the, who would have more mileage and more traction out there. And so you study and figure out what makes them think about your movie more than, than about the other movie. And a lot of times people are very successful in that. So I don't think we should shy away because people attack you or people are negative. And that's also one of the reasons why I have my newsletter you know, and have my pump club uh, yeah. is to create a positive corner on the internet, you know, because like you said, so many people are negative. So I want to make sure that I'm out there, that people, when they say, I need some positive reinforcement today, I feel really shitty, yeah. that they can go on the Arnold corner, 
and they can go to the pump club, and they can go to my newsletter, and they say, well, there I get some positive reinforcement, and they get some positive kind of feedback and stuff like that. And so that's what it's all about is that we, to me, my whole life was always about, you know, pumping people up. And I think that uh, that's why I have gained a certain popularity because I did this always in bodybuilding. I trained people all over the world. People knew that I had no prejudice in me, that to me, training an Egyptian athlete was to me just as important as training someone from South Africa or training someone from Australia or training someone from America. So to me, it was kind of like everyone has the right to be healthy and to be fit. And the women, men, young, old, makes a difference what the color is and what the religious orientation is or anything like that. So it was always about equality. So that's in me. And so yeah. I focus on those kind of issues rather than worrying about is someone attacking me. People will always attack you and people will always have something negative to say about you. The key thing is just to get around all that. When you were younger, though, did the criticism bother you or did you use it as fuel? Uh, both. You know, yeah. of course, I would have rather had someone say, oh, bodybuilding is such a wonderful sport, so healthy. <laughs> Good. You look magnificent, Arnold. You look at like an Adonis. I mean, this is like unbelievable. What a beautiful No. I mean, what they said was, why would you look like that? I mean, this is terrible. I mean, all this bumps sticking out and all this over-exaggerated muscles. This is horrible and stuff. So there would be comments like that. Uh, or people would just say, when, when the press wrote about it, they would say, this makes you die early. It makes you muscle-bound. And that you, you're stupid when you do weight training. And you're standing in front of the mirror the whole day and you're a narcissist looking at yourself, and all this kind of dialogue that happens. And I said to myself, I get it. People have not really done a good job in America in publicizing bodybuilding. So I have to go out and I have to hire publicists, and I have to do it. And that's what I did. Instead of just complaining about it, I just went out and hired a publicist. And this publicist, to the name of Shelly Sellover. She came in, she worked for a big publicity firm, and she took me from one talk show to the next, and from one interview to the next. And when I explained to the press exactly what bodybuilding is and how healthy it is, and how it actually you know, adds years to your life, how it makes you strong, not only physically, but also mentally, how you gain discipline and all this. I mean, they wrote positively, and this bodybuilding started booming. And in the 70s, it was an explosion at the end of the 70s. And in the 80s, it, 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 it literally exploded so much that it went into the movies. And then all of a sudden, after Conan, the, the, all the other heroes uh, in the movies had to start training to look like heroes. And it looks believable that they can do all the action. So I created, you know, right alongside with Stallone, a bit from Dumb. And uh, all uh, Dalton, Lundgren, and all this, we created an era, the muscle era, the action movie era. We created that, even though they were all kind of negative, because we built it slowly up and we kind of fought back, and it was very successful. So those are the kind of things that you can do rather than worrying about it and, and, and saying, well, I don't really want to do this because then I get attacked on social media. No, it's all out kind of like, being positive and fighting back and then just kind of, you know, 
try to be successful. Go all out. That's what to me is what it's all about. Thank you so much for the conversation. But more than that, thank you for the book. The whole time I was reading, I kept thinking of that Thoreau quote that says, most men are living lives of quiet desperation. And I know that you have the ability in particular to reach everybody, but so many men who really need the conversation in this book, and they will listen because it's coming from you. So I know, I'm assuming that this was your next mountaintop. And um, I don't say that lightly. I think you've done a really brilliant job. So thank you for taking the time to hang out and share your wisdom. I'm really grateful for it. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.